What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another one question episode. Before we get into the one question, and I, I'll probably release a couple of these this week just because there have been some things that have been banding about my brain that I was thinking about, especially when I was traveling and, and doing some work. But before we get started, please, my usual plead to subscribe to us wherever you're consuming us. If this is your first time checking us out on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, comment, help us bust up the algorithm, help us drive up our subscriber account. That would mean the world to me. If you're listening to this on a podcast player, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, whatever, subscribe to us, download every episode. Also, ratings and reviews can help us a ton. We did for the first time, I think, um, crack the top 85 in the basketball podcast on Apple. I'd like to really see us get into the top 50 at one point because Hardwood Knox is thoroughly unserious. We have a great time here, and I think it should absolutely get there. So, again, if you're consuming us on YouTube or just for your podcast player, head over to the other one anyway. Go to Apple, subscribe to us there as well. Go to YouTube, subscribe, like. I appreciate it. Remember to join our Discord. The link to that is in the description on YouTube and both the podcasts. And follow us on all the socials. They are up on the screen on YouTube, or you can find them in the podcast and YouTube descriptions. With all of that out of the way, we get to my question, which, and this is, I think it's been broached indirectly a few times, even on this podcast. But the question is, should the Toronto Raptors get involved in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes? Uh, Two things sort of spurred me to consider this. And that's one, Kevin Durant, agreeing to remain in Brooklyn, at least for the foreseeable future. We know all that can change and that will factor into this, but just the fact that now teams like the Raptors, the Heat and the Suns should be looking at contingencies or other avenues if they were at all linked to the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. And then also Mark Stein uh, in his latest report on Substack had mentioned that the, uh, you know, the Lakers are going to get involved in whatever Donovan Mitchell deal there is. Um, regardless of which team it is, whether it's the Knicks or if there's a dark horse. And the fact that you mentioned a dark horse sort of made me wonder, well, is there even a potential for anyone to come in? And actually, let's talk about not if the Knicks bow out, because they're not going to bow out of this sweepstakes, but is there a team that can come in and actually beat the Knicks offer? And I was trying to think of them. I mean, a few sprang to mind, but you know, you, you talk about them and there's you know, New Orleans might be able to do it, but why, why would they? Uh, OKC is too hard to match salaries and they have even less of an incentive to do that following the Chet Holmgren injury, which we'll cover, cover in further detail on this podcast as well. So the Raptors sprang to mind here. They have all their own draft picks except for a 2024 second to the Memphis Grizzlies. And they also have, they have to get to around 23.28, uh, around 23 uh, $24.3 million, excuse me, uh, to bring back Donovan Mitchell, which is very easy for them to do when you look at some of their contracts. And they have different avenues they can go to explore a trade package for Donovan Mitchell. I think the first question is, should they even be interested in Donovan Mitchell? He's a 6'1 guard. They already have that in Fred Van Fleet. I guess in theory, you could involve Fred Van Fleet in the trade talks. In that scenario, he's entering his age 28 season, um, and he's also going to be a free agent soon. You're probably looking at sending him to another team that would then need to send Utah stuff. You also need the Raptors to believe that Mitchell's enough of an upgrade to sort of swap those two out because you're not trading Van Fleet straight up. I also think that they could just play together because of how good Fred Van Fleet is defensively. And I think that Donovan Mitchell can be better there too. They have enough size and length also on the rest of the floor at the rest of the positions to where it shouldn't be a huge issue. However, I've received a bunch of pushback mainly on YouTube saying that I didn't watch enough of the Raptors, um, especially during the second half of the season, because I'm concerned about their half court offense. Uh, if you disagree, that's fine, but it's okay to have concerns about your own team. And there were people spewing things off that the Raptors half-court offense improved a great deal um, over the course of the season. I didn't really see enough of it. There were points where their offense improved, but a lot of their most efficient offense was being generated um, on the break, which is great. That's fine. 
or on second chance opportunities in the half court. And you can't live and die by those in the playoffs. And when I look at this roster, do I think that it can be really good on offense? I absolutely do. I'm a big believer in Scotty Barnes. But when you also kind of look at the complexion of the roster, they don't have that sort of quick fire off the dribble shot maker um, at, I would say, you want them at two of the three levels. It'd be great if they can get to the basket a ton, but sort of from the mid range and three point and from beyond the arc, that's not Pascal Siakam's game. Like even his pull-ups, like these are not just super quick. Um, you're looking at Scotty Barnes. I think there's potential there. I need to see his game speed up a ton with the ball in his hands. And even that would sort of run counter to some of the shots that he did take that he self-created last season. You do have Fred Van Fleet, but that's also never been his game. Like this is someone who operates really well off movement, off catch and shoot opportunities. Yeah. He has added more off the dribble scoring to his rapport. Um, even at every level, I would argue, but he's not the most efficient when it comes to that department. And you look at the Raptors, they ranked in the bottom four of pull-up efficiency, pull-up jumper efficiency last season. You even split that look after the all-star break. They're still hovering around the bottom four in effective field goal percentage. And they did take those shots. Again, they were different kinds of pull-ups, I would call them. They feel like more, more methodical than a lot of other teams. Um, and I'm talking about more of the, the in, uh, improvisational speed is basically what I'm looking for, uh, or someone like a Kawhi Leonard like they have. And you sort of go through the, the past few champions and like teams needed that type of player or an additional type of player uh, to get to that level. The Warriors, we know that they have Steph Curry. The Raptors, when they won, had Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the Lakers, they had not only LeBron James, but like the version of Anthony Davis that was that was Kevin Durant. So I do think it's important. I'm not saying that it's a must-include, but it, if you are the the Raptors, even look, the, with the Cavs when they won, having LeBron and and Kyrie Irving, so you can like go through the list like that. Even like when the Bucks won, Drew Holiday getting them over the top made so much sense because he could operate in that capacity more so than Giannis, sort of on the same level as a Chris Middleton. And so while neither of them, although Drew shot the hell out of the ball and step back threes this year, by the way, although neither of those two, Middleton and Drew Holiday, are going to fall into like the Kyrie Irving category or the Kawhi Leonard category, like that is stuff they can do. Chris Middleton has his mid-range game and Drew Holiday does have an off-the-dribble jumper of which to speak at, at an accelerated speed. And that's what I'm looking for for the Raptors. And so if I was Toronto, I absolutely would kick the tires on a Donovan Mitchell trade. You have him under contract for three years. Masai Ujiri has been known to take risks. And I do think this is an instance where you're not getting into Scotty Barnes permutations. Like that's, he was off the table in Durant talks. We know that. But Donovan Mitchell, uh, the Jazz do not have the leverage to ask uh, for Scotty Barnes. And knowing the packages that have been rumored with New York, they don't, the fact that New York doesn't have the blue chip prospect to send back where the Jazz can point to him and say, hey, that's who we're going to build around. That only sort of helps other teams flesh out their best offers because you're operating under the pretense that the Jazz are okay on some level taking a package that is primarily pick based, where, yeah, it'd be cool to get some complimentary youngsters, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, maybe Quentin Grimes. Uh, and if you want to quibble and say RJ Barrett's a blue chip prospect, that's fine, but he's, a, he's extension eligible right now. And I don't think that we've seen anything, you know, when I'm talking about a blue chip prospect, someone who profiles is better as the third or fourth best player on a championship team. I don't think we can point at RJ and say that he's shown enough to loop him into that category where can he be, you know, definitely be the third best player on a championship team, but more to the point, uh, you know, the first or second best player on the title contender. And you're not necessarily looking to get those guys in trades because if you think you have that guy, Teams don't tend to move him, even in instances like this, unless they're already a finished championship product, which the Knicks uh, are not. So I do think New York's offer can be beat, especially the ones that have been rumored. We hear five first rounders and it's like, oh my God, five first round picks. Yeah, that's a lot. As of right now, we know that the Knicks have only agreed to include up to two 
of their own unprotected first rounders. And so now you're getting into the Detroit pick, the Washington pick, the Mavericks pick, um, Detroit and Washington. Those are protected until kingdom come. They could convey in the lottery, but it might take a while and it's never going to be higher. I think the loose, most loosely protected of them falls to eighth. And then the Mavericks pick uh, is top 10 protected this season. You have that Bucks pick in 2025. That's top four protected. Do you really think the Bucks are going to suck in 2025 when they have Giannis? And so, yes, the Knicks can come over the top and say, here are four unprotected first round picks and three swaps and just be done with it if they wanted to. They haven't done that yet. And maybe a, a team like the Raptors could come in and force them to do that. But I don't think it's moot to say that the Raptors could rival the offer. And so what do you start with there? And I think you have to decide, one, Scotty Barnes is off the table, and two, I'm probably taking Siakam off the table as well, just because I don't I don't think you need him. I don't think the Jazz want him. Another player is extension eligible. They're not trying to go the Brooklyn route when they were shopping Kevin Durant. They're not looking to win immediately. Um, they are entering the Scoot Henderson and Victor Wendemyama sweepstakes. That's, that's just very clear. And if you're not seeing that, I mean – the players they got back in the Rudy Gobert deal, it was nothing with, yeah, there were players with immediate value, but they already moved Patrick Beverly. And it was, they took picks. Uh, and they, I guess the one, not even blue chip prospect, but like the one young player, and I'm sorry, Jared, Jared Vanderbilt doesn't count for this discussion, that you could have said, oh, they want that tangible building block. It would have been Jane McDaniels, and he was not included in trade talks. Um, they've clearly prioritized picks, even if you figure out, you know, depending on how you feel about Walker Kessler as well. I think that opens the door for Toronto because you have sort of what could be a mix. And where you've, if you wanted, though, to include Siakam or Fred Van Fleet or even OG Ananobi, it almost makes it easier to suss out third teams then because you just want them to send Toronto picks. Do I, uh, Utah picks, excuse me. Do I think that you could get two to three first round picks for a Siakam or a Van Fleet? Uh, two for sure. Three is more complicated. It definitely depends on the team. Uh, you know, would Memphis come in with three firsts for a Pascal Siakam? Like if, if you put him on the table, uh, would a team come in with look two to three firsts for OG Ananobi? So you could go that route. And I would also say that, look, Toronto, unlike maybe even the Knicks, Toronto might have a player that immediately interests Utah in keeping, where it's OG Ananobi. He's entering his age 25 season. They maybe won't view him as sort of the, you know, the fulcrum of their offense or even their rebuild moving forward. But that's someone who, yeah, he's already on his second contract. You have to start thinking about his, his third one at the same time. He's young enough to be a part of the rebuild plug and play enough to where he fits anywhere, but he's not yet good enough to where he ruins your rebuild next season. And yet you also have seen enough from him with the ball in his hands. When you're looking at his drives, um, his quicker decision-making when, when you're talking about deferring the ball and maybe some of his just like, slower, deliberate, methodical pull-up threes and thinking, well, maybe there is some functional expansion that's worth plumbing there. Uh, I just feel like the salary anchors Toronto have are way more intriguing than, than the salary anchors the Knicks have because we're talking about bad money in a lot of these instances. Uh, Evan Fournier, if you're going the Julius Randle route, or just like money that doesn't mean anything to Utah. Uh, Derek Rose, for example. So you could go whatever route there is. And I, I, whatever route you want to, if you're Toronto, if you want to just, I think the key is how many draft picks are you willing to attach to these players? And I think when you're looking at Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet specifically, Utah is going to want more picks in addition to the ones that the third team are sending out from Toronto, then Toronto is going to be willing to attach just because those two are so central to what Toronto is doing offensively at this point, that if you have to attach four first round picks to Pascal Siakam and another team is sending them three. Like, is that going to be enough to get the, 
the deal done there? And if you're Toronto, like, is that you're, are you making enough of an upgrade there? I think Siakam specifically, you want to pair him and Scotty Barnes with Donovan Mitchell. Like that makes all the sense in the world. Van Fleet, there might be a more wiggle room there for me, but he is, I'd probably say at this point, like a more reliable passer. I don't know if he has the, the, the cachet to be considered a better passer passer at this point, but you can look at the assist numbers. Yes, I get it. But of last year with Fred Van Fleet did, but I trust him to make a more consistent line of decisions when he is attacking. And he's probably a little bit more like complimentary than Donovan Mitchell. When you're looking at him on offense, at the same time, we've seen Donovan Mitchell be able to work off the ball. And he is certainly to me, the more valuable off the dribble shot creator here. I mean, he hit almost 36% of his off the dribble threes last year. And that included um, this stretch of like this just massive trough where there was a huge implosion from him. So I think that he is an upgrade over Fred Van Fleet. I don't know if it's enough to where again, Toronto would be okay. This team, team X, let's, I don't know which team it is, but there would be a team. Uh, no doubt in my mind that would give up multiple first round picks for Fred Van Fleet. They will send, let's say they send those to Utah Um, the Lakers, for instance, like, yeah, they'll send those 27 and 29 first round picks out for Fred Van Fleet. They would be bonkers not to, um, but now how many more do you have to include? If, if you're Toronto, I know Mitchell's younger, but it's not like five or seven years younger. Um, and they functionally are going to play this, the same position. And you've just seen more from Fred Van Fleet. I think you can also argue that, okay, are you worried about Fred Van Fleet's next contract? Maybe, but it's going to be a less commitment either looking at the the terms in years or maybe even the dollar amount than what's Mitchell's next contract. I think what you're really looking at is using OG Ananobi as sort of the primary salary ballast there. And I don't know if, you know, does that, is, is Toronto feeling awkward about that or uneasy about that? Because OG Ananobi is kind of like their only true wing. Uh, you have Gary Trent Jr., you have Scotty Barnes. Neither of those guys are like wings. Even an Otto Porter Jr., just just not a wing. And so that that might be something that's a breaking point for them. But if you're talking about like sending OG to the Jazz or another team, and I think, look, you're going to get a team to give you two first-round picks for OG and Anobi, uh, unless you're asking them for you know tangible talent. I don't like Portland, if they can cobble together the two first-round picks, um, they don't have the salary matching fodder to do so. Uh, I've thought about Atlanta. If they just wanted to continue to beef up their defense alongside DeJounte Murray, that's a team that you could see doing that. Their pick commitments are weird. Um, but you, they could still get to that point. Maybe the Pelicans, like, would they look into it? I know they have Herb Jones and, and Trey Murphy, but that's something that maybe they would consider. Uh, Phoenix could really get interesting if they're willing to include multiple first-round picks for OG. I just don't think they need more of, like, someone with self-creation that's there. I think Sacramento could probably talk themselves into doing that, but do you trust that their protected pick to Atlanta is going to convey anytime soon? Washington is a team that I could see getting involved there. Again, you're at the point where they already have to convey a first round pick and it's not guaranteed to convey next season. Uh, Cleveland could be a team that gets involved here. Chicago, uh, like the list just goes on here. You can find a team that will get, look, would the Lakers do it? Like if they're the, like giving up two first Rojan and Obi, uh, I think they should. I don't know if they would. So you could move him. I think Utah, personally, I'd probably rather have OG Ananobi the player than the picks he's going to bring back, but I don't know how deep into this tank job Utah is going to be willing to go. So I think you could get multiple firsts, maybe even a, another pick on top, like a, a third first, um, depending on how low level they are, or just like a, a, a nifty young player or someone to take a flyer on for OG. So let's just in theory say you're sending that out. Uh, you're almost just at the money you need. Uh, you can use Ken Birch as the other fodder, and then there's Malachi Flynn floating around as there. That would get you to the money. Um, so that could be the framework of a package. And then how many first-round picks are you including? Uh, 
is it the full boat on your draft? Because you could include up to four. And if you know the Knicks are pitching five or eventually going to get to six, like that's sort of what you're up against. But you do have to view how much OG Ananobi is worth. And so let's just say he's the, I I would give up more than two raw first round picks for OG Ananobi. I want to make that clear. But if they're distant first round picks like the Lakers, those might hold a little bit more value. And if they're unprotected, let's just say it's OG Ananobi or two first round picks. And so that's what you're getting in uh, exchange for Donovan Mitchell if you're Utah. Uh, I think like, could you include another three if you're Toronto? 2023, 2025. 2027, maybe we throw a couple swaps in there. Uh, that gets you past when you're looking at Donovan Mitchell. You're you're getting one uh, first round pick that conveys past his current deal because he can become a free agent after the 24 25 season. So you're getting at least one pick after. If there's a swap, like a 2026 swap in there, now you're controlling two of Toronto's picks post Donovan Mitchell. And look, that has to factor into this too. I think when you look at how the the dealings with the Knicks specifically, or even when we're talking about Miami here, when you look at how those are being framed, by the way, Miami might be like technically a sneaky good team to get involved on an OG Ananobi uh, trade. Like would they give up Jovic and three firsts for OG Ananobi to take up that four spot or just three firsts, the equivalent of it. And they have Duncan Robinson to use as their primary salary anchor, just sort of food, food for thought there. But when you're looking at New York and Miami dealing specifically, those are teams that you almost need to extract more aggressive pitches from because you know Donovan Mitchell wants to stay there long-term. And so my example here would be like the Knicks long-term, because they're the Knicks, yes, you might value their, their there are two ways to look at this. You value their distant first-round pick because they're the Knicks and they've historically just found ways to fuck themselves over. I totally get that. But let's use Miami then as the example. If you know Donovan Mitchell wants to stay there, a 2027 Miami pick doesn't mean as much as I would say a pick from Toronto in 2027, if you don't know whether Mitchell wants to stay there. Now, Toronto is one of the most well-run organizations in the league. And so inherently their distant first round picks and their immediate first round picks, especially with Donovan Mitchell are going to be less value valuable to Utah than what the Knicks can give up. And so I understand if you're the jazz looking at it like this, um, but if you're getting what would be the equivalent of, let's say five to six first, like raw first, um, one of which, at least one of which conveys after Mitchell, uh, and then a swap that can be used after Mitchell, both unprotected. I think that's a starting point if you like OG Ananobi. Now, if I'm Toronto, I don't really know how many first-round picks I'm willing to attach in total. Like, would I go, you know, 25, 27, and 29? Because if you do that, things get really interesting because are you almost thinking like, oh, could Donald Mitchell try to agitate his way out using the threat of free agency to do it? So then maybe you could have like technically three picks that um, come after the Donald Mitchell year if he decides to, you know, if they trade him before uh, the 2025 draft or the 24-25 season, however you want to frame it. That's also has to go into your calculus. That's not going to happen in New York. That's not going to happen in Miami. And I'm not saying it should happen in Toronto. Again, if I cared about winning and also just the city of Toronto, though I've never been, like, I know it's fantastic for people to have been there. Also, just the fan base is like fucking awesome. I would want to play there, but again, I'm not a millionaire NBA player who can have my pick of wherever I want to live. So I'm not advocating for Donovan Mitchell to leave Toronto or any player not to want to play for the Raptors. I want to make that clear. But if you're looking at this from Utah's perspective, you have to be thinking there's some combustibility there. And so how many first round picks can you get out of, out of Toronto? And look, if I'm the Raptors, to be frank, and the asking price ended up being like Fred Van Fleet and three first because enough value is going back to Toronto um, to get, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm just not going to lie. I'm going to play the odds on just like the, the longer term value. 
Um, but I think my framework is what OG Ananobi is to this team. When you look at Scotty Barnes and Siakam being there defensively and on offense, he feels a, a, a more replaceable than a Fred Van Fleet to me. And this is coming from someone who thinks that there is more on ball work uh, to experiment with when it comes to OG Ananobi. So like if I was Miami and he's on the market, like let's say just Utah doesn't or moves them. Let's just say Utah moves them himself. Like if you're trading OG Ananobi for um, Duncan Robinson, and then like that's bad money for Duncan Robinson. So do they give you Jovic and three firsts, assuming that they can work with whatever Oklahoma City they owe that? Excuse me, they owe that conditional first to Oklahoma City in 2025. I'm probably doing it. Like I think OG Ananobi is that good. And so like if you can get three Heat firsts, four firsts, and a swap from Toronto, I mean three firsts on top of that, and then a swap from Toronto. Like, that's a lot of value there. I don't know. Does it beat the Knicks' best offer? No, because the Knicks have all the first-round picks in the world, and they can sort of include some intriguing young youngsters there as well when it comes to Obi Top and Emmanuel quickly. And I think a lot of this, and this is one of my questions that I might do a pot on, so I don't want to get into it too much, uh, but a lot of people just think that Obi Top and Emmanuel quickly, uh, you know, Quentin Grimes, those guys are overrated when we're talking about their trade value. And if it wasn't New York, would they be valued as highly um, – as they have been or seemingly in trade talks when not by the jazz specifically, but when national analysts or and Knicks analysts are talking about it, I think that there's a middle ground of the national consensus on those players is generally too low, but the Knicks kind of did that to themselves by not giving those player players clear roles or pathways to the court time last year. And so I understand like both sides of the argument. It's ultimately the Knicks fault that we have that ambiguity surrounding those players. So back to the Raptors though, I would ultimately do this trade for Donovan Mitchell. It's a lot to give if Utah's willing to do it. And I don't know, what does this come down to? If the Knicks just are refusing to throw their best foot forward, um, I, yeah, I get it. Um, that it makes it easier for other teams. I just don't think what we know about how the Rudy Gobert negotiations went down, how we know what happened with Danny Ainge when he sort of blew up the Celtics, and just what we've seen from the superstar trade market in general most recently, you're not getting out of a star trade without giving up a shit ton. And I think OG Ananobi and a swap plus three to four first. And I, I'm going to say OG Ananobi, a swap three first and then salary. That is, that is a lot to give up. Is it enough to beat out the Knicks best offer? No, I do think though, if you have to move on from the Knicks or if the Knicks do pull themselves out, uh, or, or just the Knicks aren't going to field, let's just say they're not going to field their best offer. And look, I want to be clear if I'm Utah and I have the chance to get OG Ananobi an unprotected swap in 26 and then three first round picks, I probably prefer, I do prefer that offer way more than anything that has come out of New York thus far to where they're trying to look, the Knicks are clearly trying to win the battle of, Oh, we were able to hold on to RJ Barrett in these talks. Like that's not, I really, I'm not buying into the fact that the jazz want him with a, this is, I really like RJ Barrett as a player, but just with his payday looming and what the jazz are trying to do, uh, at least with OG Ananobi, there are two years left on his deal, and you, you kind of know where he fits offensively into a larger equation. RJ Barrett's been moved around too much with New York. Again, promising, but he's looming. He's coming up on a payday that's going to pay him more probably than OG Ananobi is making uh, next season at 17.4, and then the season after that, which would be the first of RJ's new deal at 18.6 million. So and he has a player option. Uh, OG Ananobi for the 24 offseason at 19.9. He will certainly decline that. But if you're getting OG three firsts and a swap, and that swap and one of those first round picks are post dating the Donovan Mitchell's current contract or, you know, before he enters free agency or coming after he would enter free agency. I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, 
I, I prefer that than anything that's just come out of New York because you're only getting two unprotected firsts from the Knicks. And that's knowing that one of them is probably in 2023. Like that's not, and maybe the other ones in 2025, maybe only one of those picks. And we haven't even heard a mention of swaps. Um, so you're talking about one of those picks, let's say let's just, and this might be conservative. One of those Knicks picks are coming after Donovan Mitchell's uh, contract would end, or he would enter free agency. That's not that appealing to me. And even if it's two, if, if 27 and 29 were already on the table or 26 and 28, whatever it is, like the fact that OG Ananobi is involved in this and you could point to something as an origin of we're going to get elite returns on him, or this is someone that gives us some structure to our rebuild as we can get good fairly quickly uh, because whoever we draft, whoever we decide to use as our pole star, like he's just going to fit next to them. Do you worry about him leaving Utah? Of course. But if it's like, you know, I might even prefer if the Raptors went the route of Gary Trent Jr. salary filler and then their entire draft at this point. Just because Gary Trent Jr. is going to get you more first-round equity if you wanted to move him to a third team or just later yourselves, I don't think you can point to anyone the Knicks are going to send out right now. Certainly the, the longer contracts, the expensive contracts, Randall, Fournier, whatever, Derrick Rose, you're not getting first-round picks for them. Uh, do I think a team would give up a first-round pick for Emmanuel quickly or Obi Toppin my, or Quentin Grimes? My gut would be yes, but the first-round pick you get right now to me you're either going to get more first-round picks for Gary Trent Jr. or an OG Ananobi, you're definitely going to get the higher-end first-round value there. And so that's just sort of where I land on this. I don't think the Raptors need to do this. They have the luxury of seeing what this core turns into, and I still have them as a top-five team in the East. I haven't done my official rankings, but like they're in the... As of right now, I have Milwaukee and and probably Boston in just their, their own tier together. And then when you're men mentioning Miami, Philadelphia, uh, Toronto is in that equation for me. And they're in, look, as of right now, they're in the Brooklyn tier for me too. We can talk about how Brooklyn could enter God mode, but I just don't, I don't trust that team. I don't, I don't know why anyone would. So at worst, like, yeah, if you want to say the Nets, the Bucks and the Celtics are guaranteed to be better, but I'm looking them sort of in the same vein. It's just, it's a harder outcome for them to reach to me than Miami or Philadelphia and even Brooklyn. But like their ceiling is making the Eastern conference final. Like I like, and that's there. I wouldn't even say that's my absolute ceiling. Could I envision them beating anyone in the East in a best of seven series? There's no team that I'd be like, they, it's impossible for them to beat. I just think a lot of things need to go right. Probably in two, if not all three of their prospective Eastern conference playoff series, um, offensively when looking at their incumbent talent, I don't see a pathway with the current core unless, and I think the, it would be if OG and or Scotty Barnes really speed up their half court, shot creation. I think there's a chance maybe we get there from Scotty Barnes, but it's a lot to saddle him with in year two. And so I think Donovan Mitchell would be a fantastic fit. I probably wouldn't rule out any permutation. I would, this is not my final offer, but OG plus other salary and then going three first round picks plus a swap. I don't know if that's enough for the jazz. Would I include a fourth first round pick or a second swap? Can you go three picks, two swaps? It's a lot. Donovan Mitchell though, his best, case outcome as a star is higher than OG Ananobi's now when you're looking at the the shot creation element there. And so if I'm Toronto, um I would go as high as OG three first and and a swap. Uh I Jazz fans can let me know what they think. Raptors fans can let me know what they think. Uh this was just that's the team though. If we're looking at a dark horse, I think it's the Raptors could probably get involved and make these interesting. Otherwise make this interesting. Otherwise I don't really see it for Miami certainly the other team that's been most linked to Mitchell. I don't think Boston some people have sort of mentioned that to me. Uh, if they wanted, I don't know why you wouldn't, I, I just can't see them including Jalen Brown in this, even if the idea of Donovan Mitchell shot making to help them out in the postseason, there's just not a lot of teams. I don't think new Orleans needs to go after him. Quite frankly, when you have CJ McCollum Ingram, and then with Zion coming back, 
and just other teams that might have the the pick equity to get involved. I really just don't see the uh, like the impetus. They're they're not on the right timeline with um you know OKC as an example. Orlando is interesting. I just think it's too early into the Palo Banquero era, and then even not knowing what you have in Jalen Suggs. And and we've talked about that as well. I would love to see the Magic. Like I you know you make Banquero untouchable. And then, like, you build your offer from there. I wouldn't make Suggs untouchable in those talks. Uh, I probably wouldn't even make Wagner untouchable. But if you need to pick two untouchable players, like, you say to Utah, we're willing, we have a lot of draft picks. We have a Chicago draft pick. We have a Denver draft pick. We have all our own picks. Like, we're willing to work with those. And we want to keep two of Suggs, Wagner, and Bancaro. Uh, there's, like, there's pathways to there. But, like, I just, that's another timeline that just feels like it would really need to to speed up and so let me know what you think uh, this was a blast remember to subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this youtube hit that subscribe button uh, itunes spotify help us out a ton on itunes or apple podcasts even if you don't use them to, to try and get us up those charts it would, it would help out a bunch and ratings and reviews there as well can help people find us until next time and like always i leave you with a shout out to one the only player who would actually be untouchable in perspective donovan mitchell trade talks frank nilakina